at, at Isaiah today in a little bit different way. In the book of Isaiah, chapter, chapter 6, is just a, a compelling, powerful vision of what Isaiah saw as he sought the Lord God in a trying time. And the one thing that we're going to see today, I want to give you this one thing first as we come to the scripture, is that you cannot encounter a holy God and not be changed. If there's anything we want to remember and take away from us today, it is that I cannot encounter an awesome holy God without being changed. And that's exactly what God wants to do in my life. So try to imagine this scene from Isaiah chapter 6 and what it was that Isaiah saw and experienced and what it would be like for you and I to kind of be in that place. And let's imagine it in this way. Go ahead. The music. <laughs> does it go with it? The holy holy doesn't go with it? Oh, oh, okay, we had some music. But we'll do it, we'll do it anyway. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, and the train of his robe was filling. And the seraphim stood above him, and each, each having six wings, covered their face. And as they flew, one proclaimed and shouted to the other, Holy, 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 for the host. Earth is full. And the very foundations of the temple at the voice of the one who called out, and the temple was filling. Then I said, Oh, it's me, for I am ruined. For Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. I have seen the Lord, the King of glory. But then a seraphim flew to the altar, with palms and burning brought the burning coal to me, and he touched my neck. And behold, Then I heard, who shall we send? Who will go for us? For my Lord, send me. Well, as we look at this verse today, and this powerful vision of Isaiah, this powerful experience of Isaiah with the Lord God. What can we learn about a holy God? And what can we learn even in the verses that we read this morning about what it means to be a holy people before him? And how our understanding of a holy God and our experience of holiness in our life really does change us forever. So again, we cannot encounter a holy God without being changed. So we're going to look at these three things together that are on our screen today. The holiness of God, the humbleness of man, and the urgency of our mission. 
The very first line of this vision of Isaiah is interesting. We almost kind of skip over it because it just seems to be a reference to a date. In the year that King Uzziah died, what is significant about that? Isaiah is doing more, and I looked this up because it really intrigued me, that Isaiah is doing much more than just recording a date. It's not just a time marker. It is a word about the circumstances, the struggle that was happening in Isaiah's life and the people of God in that time. King Uzziah came to the throne at about 17 years old and reigned for about 57 years. He did many, many good things as a king. In fact, 2 Chronicles and 1 Kings tells us of this king that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. That was not said of all the kings. In fact, of many kings, it was said the opposite. But when the scripture says that he did what was right in the sight of God, it's a, it's a word that, that proclaims that he was an honorable king who sought to do the things that God wanted him to do. But the story, unfortunately, did not end there. Because in, a, in its later years, Second Chronicles and Kings also tells us that, and it uses the words, that, that when he was strong in his heart, when he was strong in his heart, his heart lifted up to destruction. There was a time, even though he had tried to do what was right in the, in the eyes of God, that, that it, you know, that, that's when temptation comes. That's when the fall comes is when we're, we think we're stronger than we really are. And we become strong in our own heart, in our own power. And our heart has a way of lifting us up, not so much to victory in those times, but to destruction. And so King Uzziah dared to go into the temple to burn incense himself instead of the priest. He really put himself in the place of God. As a result, he was stricken with leprosy and spent the last two, three, three or four years of his reign in absolute isolation and absolute suffering from leprosy. And so I think it's so significant that Isaiah says it this way. In the year that King Uzziah died, in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of this unknown, in the midst of all these uncertain times, the, the evening news would have said of King Uzziah, he was a great king, he did great projects, he, he, he defeated the Philistines and other enemies, and, but they probably would have focused on the last three or four years of his life. He did not do what was right in the eyes of God, and he, did, he died of leprosy. That would be a terrible legacy to leave behind, right? But here's what God is doing in this vision to Isaiah. He's reminded Isaiah, King Uzziah may be dead, and things may be very uncertain, very unsettling right now, but Isaiah never forget that even though King Uzziah is not on his throne, I am still on my throne, and I have always been on my throne. And Isaiah was able to look at the situations in his life and around him and first and foremost, see God sitting on his throne. I saw the Lord God sitting on his throne. Let me ask you, when you think about your life and the things going on in your life and around your life, where do you first look? Who do I first look to? What do I see in the midst of that? 
When I'm faced with a situation that I didn't see it coming and, and it's just hard to understand and, and figure out, do I first see the Lord God sitting on his throne? Because so often when we get in the midst of those situations, I don't know if you, but I, I know of times where I was sitting on my throne and wondering where God was and what God was doing. I, I just, we all have these experiences, but I'll just share a quick one. Back in 1973, I was working in a mine and had my leg and my foot run over by a 12-ton forklift. Yes, that hurts. <laughs> and I broke every single bone from my lower leg down, crushed by this forklift. And I, it's just a miracle that I still have my foot today. Not in very good shape, but I, I still have my foot today. In fact, I can blame me falling in the water probably on my foot, you know. That's convenient. But I remember being in the hospital in full traction not knowing if I was even going to be able to keep my foot. And every day my pastor came to visit me. That was, that was nice for him to do that. Brother Edgar, I'll never forget him. And he would come and he would listen, he would encourage me, and he would, and he would always tell me, share with me his favorite verse. Now, Tom, remember this verse from Philippians 4.4. 4. You know what Philippians 4.4 4 says? Rejoice in the Lord always. That's not all of it. And and again I say, and again I say refers to hard times, and again I say what? Rejoice. And so he would always tell me that verse right before he left. He would walk out my door, and he would begin to go out, and then he would stick his head back in, and he would do this, 4-4. Four, four. Now remember, Tom, that stands for Philippians 4-4, four, four. see you tomorrow. And that it was his smiley face of 4-4. Four, four. I would see there were days I wanted to throw my bedpan at him because <laughs> I couldn't get out of this bed. And I was, I was struggling to see, what do I have to rejoice in this? But I began to think about, this became a very defining time in my life, to this very time, that I really did have so much to rejoice about. I was alive, and I was going to be okay. And God was going to use this throughout my life, which he has to mold me and shape me and do so many things in my life that I thanked him for then, that I still thank him for now. But what, do I what did I have to do? I had to get off of my throne and remember that God was still on his throne. He wasn't surprised that this happened. He was at work in this. He was reigning over this. He was doing things in my life that he wanted me to, to know about and experience and carry on with. And that's true of all of us. When I have something happen that's so difficult, do I see the Lord sitting on his throne? When I hear that word cancer, do I automatically be fearful and, and wonder what's going to happen? Do, but do I first see the Lord God sitting on his throne? When I wreck my car, when I lose my job, when I, when, whatever I go through, do I first look and see God is still on his throne. And I'm going to keep God on his throne. Because there is where I see my hope and my answers. What is it that you see when you go through difficult times? Well, Mike shared this verse last week, I think, from Hebrews 12. About running the race with endurance. About putting aside all the things that encumber us and entangle us. Running that, that race and, and fixing our eyes on who? The Lord Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. 
for all of the joy set before him that he laid down his very life for us. That's what knowing Jesus Christ is really all about, isn't it? It's one thing to say, well, put God on his throne. Well, how does God, how does God be on his throne in my life? It's, it's, it's simple, but yet it's life-changing through my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who is sitting at the right hand of God, and when he truly is the savior of my life, the one that my life is all about, and, and, and realizing that it's never, it's never about Jesus being a part of my life. It's about Jesus being my life, being on the throne of my life. And whatever happens to me, the very first thing I see is God sitting on his throne. I love this verse from, there's a verse in Isaiah 12 that, that simply says this, that great in our midst is the Holy One of Israel. He is always great in the midst of no matter what I'm going through. Do you believe that today? I love this translation of another verse from Colossians. It says, just as you trusted Christ to save you, trust him too for each day's problems. Live in vital union with him and let your roots grow down deep into him and draw up nourishment from him and see that you go on growing in the Lord and become strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. For in Jesus dwells all the fullness of deity and bodily form. And when you have Jesus, you have everything you need. So is God sitting on the throne of my life today with everything that I've faced, everything I question, everything I'm going through because of my relationship with Jesus, is God truly sitting on his throne? Here's another part of that that I think is, is, really, is really great to, to think about. You remember the verse from Jeremiah 29.11? Who knows, who remembers what Jeremiah 29.11 says? It's all over plaques and posters and... I'll get, I'll get you started, see if you can remember it. For I know the plans, what, I have for you, what, declares the Lord. Plans for what? Plans to prosper you, Plan, not to harm you, but to prosper you, right? And that great promise that, of God that, re, that we love to use from Jeremiah 29, 11. Well, have you ever read the couple of verses that follow Jeremiah 29, 11. Let me share it with you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for, wel for, your, for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and of hope. We love that, that verse, don't we? But here's the even more exciting part of that promise. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, when you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Not only is he always sitting on his throne, not only does he desire that I, that I recognize that he is my God sitting on his throne, but he's already waiting for me. Think about that. He's waiting. He says, when you seek me, when you pray to me, when you look to me, I will, you will find me because I'm already waiting to be found in you. And so that's just, a, that's just an awesome thing to think about as we think about God sitting on his throne in our lives through every circumstance, that he is there and he is waiting for you and I to find him, to find the hopes and answers that we need. 
Well, that is the holiness of God. And as we begin to understand and get a vision in our lives of the holiness of God, the holiness of God starts to be developed and, and fleshed out and lived out in our lives. That's how we become what the scripture talks about, a holy people. So kind of look at the progression. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And then after he saw that, then I said... And here we get to the humbleness of man. As Isaiah was given a life-changing vision of the holiness of God, as he compared his life to the awesome holiness of God, he saw himself as he really was before God. Now, my wife will probably hate me sharing this illustration, but there's this commercial on TV about a guy at a casino Good-looking guy, you know, he's walking towards you, and he's talking about, you know, how great the casino is. And he, he looks into the camera, and he says, it's time. It's time to seize your moment. And then he looks even more intently in the camera and says, so what? You do you. Now, we both hate that commercial. But husbands, don't you do this when you know your wife hates something, you know, you just kind of egging on a little bit, you know, to the point that your life is in danger. But, but when, when it gets to that place, you know, I'll sometimes turn to Lord and say, it's time to seize your moment. So you do you. And so, guys, when your wife says, you better not say that again, you better not say that again. But most of all, it's a really dumb statement. What in the world does it mean, you do you? I don't want to do me. My me is like Isaiah. I'm ruined. I'm wretched. I'm no good before, before God compared to his holiness and his presence. I don't want to do me. I want to do the me he wants me to be. I want to do him. I want to live in his holiness. I want to live in his presence. And I want God to take this wretched, broken man and, and, and make me into something that, that can honor his glory. And so what, that all happens in the midst of humbleness. I'm thinking about a couple examples in the New Testament, a couple that I love. One is when, when Jesus was with his disciples out on the Sea of Galilee in Luke 5, and they caught the great catch of fish. And, and Peter was so, was so broken of that. And we find Peter at the, at the feet of Jesus saying, Lord, be, be merciful to me, for I am a sinful man. Because Peter realized he almost missed the miracle. Questioning God, questioning his faith, and then he saw this great catch of fish that they had to call all the other boats to come in and take in. And it was, it was truly, obviously, a miracle of God. And in the midst of that miracle, you know, he could have said, boy, we, we, we really caught a lot of fish today, right? Didn't we do a great job of fishing? Look, look how this net is so full. But he recognized that God had done a miracle. He found himself in the presence of a holy God, and all he could say is, Lord, be merciful to me, for I am a sinful man. I think about the Apostle Paul over in Romans chapter 7, as he talked about, about how he struggled, about that war in his spirit between the, the old man and the new man. And even the Apostle Paul said these words. He, he said, Who will, uh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The Apostle Paul, you mean the great Apostle Paul? 
when faced with the presence of God, the holiness of God, all he could say is, I'm a wretched man. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Very likely Paul was referring to a practice in the days of Rome where if you murdered someone, your punishment might actually be to be chained to the body of the person that you murdered and to drag them around, to literally be chained to them. I mean, wouldn't that be kind of strange, you know, show up to a party and you got this guy chained to you? You know, I guess would probably be a topic of conversation, maybe not a very good topic. And you have to sleep with that person, eat with that person, drag that person around. Paul, in the presence of God, came to see his sin as a dead body in his life that he was dragging around. He cried out to God, God, who will deliver me from this body of death? I think, I think we need to understand that, that God is not telling us to, to beat ourselves up, to put ourselves down. He's, he's really telling us that in his presence, in his holiness, to see ourselves for what we really are. To say, God, I am ruined, as Isaiah said. To, God, to say, God, I am a wretched man. I am a sinful person. And in those times, isn't that when God says, well, that's right. Now we can do something together. Now you put yourself in the right place. You put me in the right place. And now I can do something in your life. That's the difference that humbleness makes in our lives. What does it say? And you remember, that there's another popular verse, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, what? Who are called by my name, should do what? Humble themselves and pray. Then there's a promise of God he hearing our prayers and healing our land. Here's some verses about humbleness. Psalm 25 says, he leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. Why do I, how do I sometimes miss knowing the way? Well, because God's trying to teach me, but he can only teach me in my humbleness. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. You might have heard this verse from Micah. He has told you, old man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. Here's a, here's a part of this, part of Isaiah's experiences, experience that I just love. In the presence of God, in the midst of the holiness of God, not only did Isaiah realize that he was a sinful man, needing God's forgiveness and realized that he was nothing without the hope that, that God could give him in his life. But he confessed the very thing he struggled with. What was it? I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And then what happened next? The seraphim flew to the altar and got a burning coal and brought the burning coal to him and did what? Touched, used the burning coal to touch his what? His lips. And then gave him this promise. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Here's what that says to me. And I'm, I'm so thankful for this truth. That many times the thing that I struggle with the most. Now hear this. The thing we struggle most with in our lives 
may well be the very area God wants to touch the most. For Isaiah, it was his mouth. And it was the things he said and the things that people said around him and how he struggled with that. So God touched his mouth, right? Well, isn't it true that whenever I come before God and I give to God my burdens and my questions and my doubts and everything I'm going through, that God is the God who loves to touch those very things with a burning coal. The seraphim mean literally the burning ones. The coal represents the very power of God, not only to burn Isaiah's mouth, but to literally set Isaiah on fire. Only God can take the weakest area of my life and touch it in a way that it even becomes my greatest strength. God can do that in his grace, in his miracle power. Whatever it is I'm struggling with may well be the first area that God wants to touch. So think about it today. Like Isaiah, to complete these words. Woe is me, for I am what? Woe is me, for I am sinful. But here's what I struggle with, God. That's confession. Here's what I'm going through. I know that you know about it, God, but I need to pour out my heart. Here's the area of my life that I want to trust you to touch the most as only you can touch, only you can change. So we have the holiness of God. We have the humbleness of man. And then we have the urgency of our message. And let's complete it by just reading those verses we're going to, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking a lot, and Pastor Luke's going to be sharing a lot about our church and our purpose and our mission and the things that God has called us to do, what kind of strategy and structure needs to be in place, how all of us shape that together and make it a difference in Maricopa and the world. So after, after this um, touch of God, see again the, the, the progression. Isaiah in the holiness and presence of God Isaiah humble before God, and then it says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying. Do you see the progression? Realizing who he was in the very presence of God and what he needed, realizing the area of his life that, he, that God most needed to touch and be humble before God, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying. You know, it's a little bit like, you know, the old, it's still true, but it's, it does it a little bit more for us today in our modern radios and automobiles. But you remember days where you, you had to turn that knot dial to kind of get in a station? And you just had to get it just right. You had to get that transceiver in the, exactly the right position to get that station. Well, this is what happened to Isaiah. His heart, his life was put in the right position in relationship to God. And then what happened? Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying. And when he heard the voice of the Lord saying, who will, who will go for, who shall we send, who will go for us? He didn't hesitate to respond, did he? Have you ever had the experience as a child, you know, of being in line, you're choosing, you're choosing up the team. Here's the two captains choosing the team. I'll never forget that when in grade school, when we, when we, divided up and the two guys chose their team for baseball. I was absolutely horrible at baseball. Now I could outride, outrope or whatever any of these guys, but when it came to baseball, it, it just it just never it just never was my thing. And so I was terrible at baseball and everybody knew it. 
So who do you think got picked last? And I remember I kept saying, here I am, here I am, here I am. And they just go pick him and pick Finally down to, you know, the last guy. Here I am, here I am. And they would pick me. I am so glad that doesn't happen in my relationship with Christ. Amen? All I need to say, Lord, is here I am. And God says, that's great. I'm sending you. I've just been waiting for you to be available. Think of it this way. God is much more interested in my availability than he is in my ability. He'll take care of my ability. He will equip me to do what he's called me to do. His Holy Spirit will work in my life in such a way to grow me into the servant and the person he wants me to be to do great things in and through my life. God really needs my availability more than my ability. Because we use our ability as, as an excuse, don't we? Oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not knowledgeable enough, or whatever. God doesn't look for that. He just needs your availability. So Isaiah said, Lord, here I am, send me. I want you to look there. We're going to read those verses real quick, just to add to the last part of the vision here. Verse um, 7, I think it is, or verse, I can't see a number, but anyway. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, Hear my Lord, send me. And then the voice of God said this. He said, go and tell this people. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of his people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their hearts, understand with their, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. And then Isaiah said to the Lord, but Lord, how long? And God gave an answer. Until the cities are devastated and are without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men from far away, and the broken places are many in the midst of the world. But he says there will be a tenth portion. There will be a remnant. There will be a, to burning like, like a... Seraphim or an oak whose trump remains when it is failed, the holy seed is the stump. Notice the words that God gave Isaiah. When Isaiah said, Lord, here am I, send me, God said, okay. The first thing you need to do, the first word he uses is what? The word go. What did Jesus say when he gave us the Great Commission? All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth, therefore, go. Okay? Don't wait till I think I'm ready. Don't think till I think I know all the answers. Jesus says, go. And if you will go in obedience, I will use you in great and powerful ways. So he says, go. If you look at the words there, go and tell, go and listen, then look for what God is doing. And then he uses the word render, which basically means to leave it in God's hands. Whatever's going to happen, whatever's God going to do, just be obedient to go and tell, listen, and look. And maybe it's good to ask the question, okay, God, how long? How long do I have to do this? You ever have a child ask that? How long do I have to do this? And God says, as long as there's cities, as long as there's people, until the cities and the people are devastated, you are to go and you are to tell and you are to listen and you are to render and you are to be obedient.
to be on mission for me. And that's why our mission is so very urgent. Because there are people whose ears are dull, whose hearts are hard, who are so far away from God. And we don't know who it is that God's chosen. We don't know who it is that God is drawing. All we know is that God wants us to go and tell. And tell and give people an opportunity to respond to the greatest message of all, the greatest news of all, receiving Christ Jesus as their Savior and Lord. That is our mission. And if you want to know what the mission of God is, all I have to do is wake up every morning and look in the mirror. There it is. Me? God? <laughs> you want to use me? Yeah. I just need you to be available. Okay, God. Here I am. Send me. And God says, okay, go, tell, look, listen, render, and let me take care of the rest. And that, not, that not, doesn't need to be, again, a part of our life or something we have to remind ourselves to do. It needs to literally be our life. Today, Lord, I am a mission for you. I can't wait to see what you're going to do. I can't wait to see who somebody might ask me about my faith and a situation I can speak into. Lord, my desire today is just to be available to you. Send me today. I want to be completely under your control because I'm a holy person as best I can be. I'm a humble person. I'm working on that every day. And so, God, here I am. Would you please send me? me. Well, again, we cannot encounter, truly encounter a holy God and not be changed. you believe that today? That God is calling you and I, just as he called Isaiah, to come before him in his presence, in the presence of his holiness, and to just see a fresh new revelation of who he is, the God of all creation, sitting on his throne, reigning over everything in the world, but more personally, everything in your life and mine. God wants us to become humble before him. See who we are in his presence. Tell God about it. You know, it's interesting that we, sometimes we don't want to tell God, you know. I don't want to tell God that I'm a wretched person. I'm, I'm a ruined person, sinful person. He already knows. He's just waiting for me to say it so that, that I can admit it. And I can be in the right position for him to, to forgive and do great and mighty things in my life. And God wants us to always remember that every day we are on mission for him. And the world is waiting to hear about this life-changing God, to have an experience that changes their life forever. And God says, I want to send you. Let's pray together. Let's read us bow our heads in prayer this morning. We've we sang some really special songs. We fellowship together. We worship together. We come to this time and place by no coincidence. And even if we came today thinking, well, it's Sunday, I'm going to church today. Maybe God has showed up here today, especially in your life and heart in a way that you didn't quite expect. And that God is saying to me right now, I am a holy God, and I've called you to be a holy people, a holy person. And God is giving you an opportunity right now to look at everything going on in your life and see one thing above all. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. His robe, the, tra the, the train of his robe filling the temple, 
the presence of God like smoke rising up in the midst of everything I'm going through. And think about what it is that you're struggling with right now. And determine right now under God, I will see the Lord God sitting on his throne over, reigning over all these things today. And then I will walk in him as I deal with those things. And I will go for him as he sends me. And let the very holiness of God change us today. Let the very holiness of God change us every day. Because that is what a holy God desires to do. Maybe there's an area of your life today that you struggle with the most. And you find yourself saying, oh, I, I, I need that seraphim experience today. I need God to touch that area of my life because I know that that's the area he wants to touch the most. So God, whatever you want to do in this area of my life, touch me with a burning coal and remind me that my iniquity is taken away and my sins are forgiven and that you could even turn this weak and struggling area of my life into maybe one of the strongest areas of my, of my life as only you can do. And God, I want to be on mission for you. So... Here I am. I'm available to you, God. You do the rest. You take me and send me, empower me, and equip me. God, I want to make a difference for you in this world. And lastly, as we close in prayer today, maybe you've heard all this about a holy God, about being holy, about being humble, about being set on fire for God. And God has reminded you today that that is only possible through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And is that where you are in your relationship with God today? Has, it ever been, there, has there ever been a time in your life you came to the place to say, God, like Isaiah, God, I'm a sinner. God, I'm ruined. God, forgive me. God, touch the sin of my life and take away my iniquity. Forgive my sin. I want to be in the right relationship to you. That's what trusting Jesus and knowing Jesus is all about. And that can be exactly your prayer right here where you sit today. If you've never before invited Christ in your life, you can do that right now. Simply by admitting to God like Isaiah did, I'm a sinner, God forgive me, come into my life today. And maybe just saying, here's, here's the area of my life that I need to turn over to you, so I'm doing that today. And here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord, today. Would you send me? Thank you, Lord God, for speaking to our hearts today. Thank you for reminding us that you are standing and waiting as our Savior, that if we confess with our mouth that you are Lord, believe in our heart that, that God raised you, Lord Jesus, from the dead, that with our heart we confess righteousness and our mouth with salvation and that your promise that we will be saved when we come to you before your presence and holiness. And that we will never be disappointed. We will be changed forever. So Lord, help us, Lord, to leave here today with a new appreciation and awareness of your awesome presence. With a desire to be a humble, holy people everywhere we go and everything we do. And God, show us how we are to be on mission with you this day, this coming week, and in all the days ahead. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for changing us forever as only you, holy God, can do. We thank you in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Every, everyone say with me. Amen.